Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, the Week in IndyCar series, all dedicated to you. This is our listener Q&A show. It is Monday night at 10.35 p.m. here in California. Rocky, my frequent co-pilot, Rocky the cat, is walking on the left side of the table. Mrs. Pruitt is enjoying a well-deserved bath after just pushing like mad today in physical therapy. I mean, I'll tell you, that woman is... Eh, uh, let's just say this. Robert Wickens is the like nuclear-grade inspiration for physical rehabilitation for many of us. And while my wife does not want her rehab exploits shared with the world i can just tell you as the guy who is there many hours per week with her doing some extraordinary things making incredible progress to overcome the mobility issues that have struck hard since they arrived in june yeah that lady (laughs) that lady uh, she is in the professional butt-kicking uh, profession of late. So she is having some well-deserved downtime and soaking some very tired muscles. I hear Rosie, our other cat in the background, who is playing with toys and acting a fool. These are all things I'm sharing with you up front because this is my reality. <laughs> ah! So last week, which actually I kind of knew in advance, the uh, spam, the Aaron McLaren SP news was coming. Patricio Award, Oliver Askew, confirmed as the new drivers for the Chevy-powered team. Our friend, sincere friend, James Hinchcliffe. Boy, uh, I don't want to say being done dirty, but deserving better treatment than what he has received so we thought that was going to dominate the indycar news cycle yeah (laughs) okay uh before i forget because i will because it is late and i am staring at this is just sad truly sad i am staring at a mcdonald's mccafe cup a large that is one-third full that I put in the refrigerator after Saturday morning's visit to physical therapy. And having emptied the coffee pot that I brewed Sunday morning, this was the only thing I could find quickly that I could heat up in the microwave as Rocky walks by to sniff the cup. So I'm about to rock out as much of the listener Q&A as I can. Thanks to, inspired by, Ronald McDonald's fine coffee manufacturing skills with this one-third cup of now kind of lukewarm, what are we, two, three-day-old coffee? That's what I'm rocking with here. And if this is your first time listening to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast or a Week in IndyCar show, I don't want you to think it gets better. No, 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 no. We're in full revealing the hard truth of what this is. 
Some say I'd pull it out of my backside. Those who would say that, I can't really argue with you. So here we are. Got cats running around sniffing, acting a fool. Got my wife enjoying well-deserved break from me and life. And at last count, no exaggeration, we're at about 150 questions that you fine, fine people have sent in. So we're going to jump into those in just a moment, but there's two things we always do in the start of the listener show, and by always, I mean eh, for about the last six weeks since we started doing a separate listener Q&A show. We say thank you to Cooper Tires, the fine benefactors of the Road to Indy, the fine people that helped me to put on live shows, of which we did quite a few this year, and... I got to admit, the size of the crowds, the amount of fun, the guests that we had, big highlights. Seriously big highlights. Justice Brothers, old family. Some of you may know, uh, we go back to the late 1990s. The Justice family, Ed Justice, his wife, daughters, etc. These are just, yeah, they are like family members to me, which makes their support of what we do here and just unwavering support. It's really important. Toronto Motorsports, torontomotorsports.com, owned by Derek Koska, insane folks from Canada. The variety of Marshall Pruitt podcast t-shirts, weekend IndyCar, weekend sports cars, hamburger and french fry, the new Joe Tonto quarter retrieval service, inside the sports car paddock, all the various stickers, mugs, beer koozies, just... It's them. (laughs) They do it. They make them available. I'm so thankful for them. And we do lots of fun stuff. And we're going to do more fun stuff. We also say huge thanks to Bell Racing Helmets USA. Just learned that our friend Chris Wheeler, the director there, I think that was his title. I don't know. Guy who did a lot of stuff and was kind of in charge. Uh, He's moving on to kind of a consulting role. Uh, that's that's good. Uh, we were never really convinced. Wheeler, you know, I mean, it's kind of a sad story. I know they just kind of kept him around. They had to decide, should we get a shop dog or should we get Chris Wheeler? They opted for Wheeler. He doesn't eat as much kibble as a dog, so I understand that decision. Uh, joking aside, our man Wheeler, who's still going to be involved with Bell, uh, and Kyle Keitzman, who's uh, the, the real man in charge there, Great folks, great supporters of what we do. So when I give them love at the beginning of this show, it's not just out of duty or responsibility. Frankly, none of the four that I've mentioned have ever said, we want you to mention us at the beginning of the show or say nice things or whatever. Genuinely, it's just out of appreciation for who they are and helping to make this possible. The other thing we do, this is a straight up, torontomotorsports.com thing is well since this is a listener driven show and admittedly most of what i do in the little podcast here is indeed listener driven rocky has now jumped up on the back of the chair and is not quite putting his butt in my face but all right thanks for moving on pal we do a thing here where we give stuff to you just as a thanks for your participation and so the mechanism we've limited it to the weekend indy car is for those of you 
who post questions on my Facebook page, the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, when I send out the weekly request for questions, which go out on Twitter and Facebook, my friend Matt Record is usually grabbing the uh, solo questions or the, the solo posting that goes on in the Reddit group there. I'll admit that hopefully I'll get those tomorrow because I think this is going to have to be a part two. But uh, we say, hey, whomever's question gets the most likes each week, we're going to give you a torontomotorsports.com MP podcast little gift pack of whatever. Tell us T-shirts, tell us whatever that you might want. We'll get you taken care of. And so looking back to last week's episode, i got to say, hey, Nick Landon, come on down. You're the latest winner of whatever amount of stuff that you're going to get. So send me a direct message with your email address. I will connect you with Derek at torontomotorsports.com. He will get your mailing address. And then within about a week, you're going to get some things that you could A, help to start a fire with. Uh, If you need to wash the dog or the cat or your car, T-shirts that have my face on it and name they tend to make really good items for cleaning things has a child vomited and you don't have a towel handy guess what boy do we have a shirt for you and then it's some other things some stickers maybe do you have people you don't like put those stickers on them or their belongings just as some sort of retribution or telling them how far down in life they rank in your world we're giving you options or Maybe the most far-out concept, you could put them on and enjoy them. We don't ask you to do anything. We don't ask you to send us photos. We don't ask you to promote anything. We just say thanks and send you stuff. Uh, Light it on fire, clean up vomit, or just put the stuff on. Entirely up to you. Final note here before we kick off, and Nick, again, send me a DM, get me your email address, and we'll get you all sorted here. Same thing applies to this week's episode. Uh, If you want to get free stuff, just game the system. Tell your family and friends to hit the Q&A thread, go to your question, and just press that like button. If you have the budget, I believe there's some Russian bot technology where, you know, possibly you could have thousands of likes, thousands of thumbs up for your question. It'd be kind of strange, be kind of obvious, but... Again, we're this is democracy. Get it however you want. Reap the benefits. It's the American way. Speaking of the American way, a man from Ohio who grew up, found a lot of success in business and as a race car driver, but eventually focused on business ownership and team ownership, bought the racing series. And, more importantly, the racing facility that made his name. Roger, his middle initial is F, stands for freaking. Roger freaking Penske bought the Indianapolis (laughs) Motor Speedway in the IndyCar Series. IMS Productions is in there, too. They make really good videos. Uh, what? Come on. It happened. It really happened. The thing that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. The Holman George family sold it 
the thing that's been subject to speculation since I remember IMS. It actually happened. I decided to not get up at 6 a.m. this morning, but sleep in a little bit till about 7. And when I did finally decide to get up, I looked over, saw my phone, which when I'm at home and with my wife, I always turn the ringer off. When I travel and I'm away from her, I always keep the ringer on in case she needs anything. But when we're at home, ringer's off. I woke up and happened to notice that my phone was lit up and looked at what appeared to be an unending number of texts and calls and other things. Uh, One of them being from Chris Wheeler at 5 a.m. saying, wake up, and a whole variety of others. Things about Roger Penske. My fear was unfounded. I was afraid he wasn't okay. So thankful that he was. Found out he's more than okay. The perfect man for the job. The best businessman in the sport has bought the thing that is need. The best business person to carry it forward. Roger Penske bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series. And there is absolutely no one, either those with more money, uh, just anything. There's no one else I can think of that is better suited to secure its future and improve the things that need improving. Holy cow. So let's get into your questions. Believe it or not, spam and who is or isn't driving for them? Ah, yes, mere contrivances relegated to history history long ago last week. Let's get into this ground-shattering, earth-shaking. What? Yes, through your questions. Starting now on the Week in IndyCar, listener Q&A episode. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. All right, so to start and to be completely transparent, I haven't had the time to cut and paste all your questions and organize them in some logical flow and just good pacing from question to question. So I'm just going to have to scroll through them on the fly. And if you hear me kind of reading them a little bit and then realizing, oh, that's not for me. That's for my guest, Bobby Rahal, for the primary show, the guest show. Well, that's just me. A couple of you sent in something along the lines of this, and I'm just going to start with it because, again, I love telling you the way it is. Uh, Ryan Terpstra is one of a few who said, did the sale of IMS and IndyCar come out of nowhere for you? They said during the press conference, they kept it pretty well under wraps. For me, absolutely. And someone else asked, uh, hey, how did you keep this under wraps? Well, it was really easy. I didn't know about it. (laughs) I should. It's my job to know about these things. This might come as an excuse. It could be an excuse. It's not coming from a place of making an excuse. If we're talking about teams, drivers, engineers, a lot of those things. Uh, New venues tend to be fairly well plugged into those things. When it comes to 
big institutional stuff, IMS or IndyCar, uh, those things often are a little bit outside my radar. So for my pal and colleague, Robin Miller, lives in Indy, born and bred in Indy, uh, just, you know, he's plugged into everything about that facility and what's going on there. He apparently started hearing the rumors of this about two weeks ago and heard a lot, I think, starting Friday or so. He was on vacation in Las Vegas doing his annual contributions to the uh, Young Single Mother Fund and also the various sports books there. And, yeah, uh, wasn't able to chase them down as much as he had wanted, but Robin had an inkling I did not, and since we hadn't spoken since, I think, Thursday or Friday, uh, there was no real interaction of, hey, I've heard this, I've heard that. That's one of the normal things that we do, catch up on behind-the-scenes news, keep each other abreast. So I woke up this morning uh, in a mild panic. (laughs) Hey, there's a lot of stuff to do, and I don't know if Miller's back from vacation yet exactly. Turns out he had gotten back. And was sick as a dog. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, didn't know and happily raised my hand to say, no, wasn't me. Uh, Let's start scrolling through some of your questions. And I am going to try and pick the Penske IMS IndyCar ones ahead of others right now. Ben Rayburn says, MP, during the press conference, Roger made reference to his top 10. Assuming he was talking about changes or ideas he had for IMS. In IndyCar moving forward, what do you think his top 10 is going to be or should be? What would your top 10 be? For what RP said, uh, it was regarding getting his, quote, team, his, his leadership team together, walking around IMS and coming up with a top 10 list of things to do and improve. When I spent about 10, 15 minutes on the phone with RP and Mark Miles uh, just before my wife and I left today, Asked him on this topic, Ben, about the IndyCar side. All right, so what's your top 10 there? And he didn't have a lot of specifics to offer, if any, frankly. If I were to insert some suggestions, I would have to look at, I'm just kind of parroting something, unfortunately, but having filed a uh, analysis piece with Racer on this very subject, I mean, really, there's there's three pillars that I mentioned in this, three items here that are, are, I guess, most salient to me. And that would be looking at the need for money. The thing that is going to fix the majority of IndyCar's ills is money. And not Roger's money, because he's not the type to th- just throw cash at a problem that... <laughs> isn't his i realize he just bought the series but he's not the type to come in and say oh uh, a quick infusion of 50 million dollars would help let me spend that roger's mindset is oh so it needs i'm just making up that number 50 million let's find the ways to raise that 50 million dollars let's find the corporate partners let's come up with a a lot of strategery a good strategic plan to get there and then drive really hard till we achieve it He's not accustomed to playing Santa Claus. It's one of the reasons why he's so successful and has a lot of money is he doesn't just give it away 
to solve problems. He looks for actual business solutions to those problems. IndyCar as a whole, and i am just mentioned this here, this answer is going to take a little bit up front, but that's why we dig into them up front. IndyCar's limitations, the things that have kept it from growing at a faster rate, it truly all centers around money. Budget-wise, the IndyCar series, while it has received a budget from uh, the Holman-George family, their companies, the board, to my knowledge has not in recent years, this decade, been something that was just overwhelming. If anything, it's constantly looking for ways to trim. Well, if you're trying to reestablish yourself in the marketplace, trying to become the bigger thing you once were it's hard to do that when you are cash strapped another thing it's not IndyCar but it's very well connected it's key partners going through the same thing name the auto manufacturer tire manufacturer just run on down the list of all the major names that you see affiliated with the IndyCar series that work hand in hand with the series they too are being asked in to varying degrees trim the budget get the numbers down what can we cut what can we reduce without the whole thing crumbling we need to be more efficient more streamlined those are things that again allow us to have a series and allow us to do what we do but they don't allow us to really grow got to look at some other realities which are good and i'm not diminishing them You look at attendance figures, they are up. Not crazy, but they're up. You look at the TV ratings, with IndyCar moving to NBC exclusively, NBC Sports. Those numbers are up as well. Not crazy, but you can say up. It's a lot of things in general. You would look at IndyCar and say, hey, among many racing series in North America that are going backwards slightly... Numbers are coming down in so many areas. This is one that, while incremental, is going up. If we just leave that alone and accept this incremental year-to-year improvement, no joke, I don't know if I will still be alive by the time we get to a point where you go, wow, this is actually kind of feeling like the old days. I don't know if many of the folks, team owners, team managers, engineers, heck, fans, it's target demographic or key demographic right now. I mean, there's a, <laughs> this gradual improvement. It's good. No argument. It's not fast enough, though, to get IndyCar back to a place of prosperity. In a, it's going to take more than a generation <laughs> to get there. And so this, I would say, of all the, the overarching limitations IndyCar has been dealing with, this is one that jumps out right up front, Ben, as something where Roger Penske and the Penske Corporation can make a swift impact. How? It's 
Roger's name. It's Roger's credibility. It's Roger's relationships. So is he going to give away sponsors? No. He has a racing team. There's funding that he wants and needs for that. And his NASCAR program and the various other series he's in. Roger's not in the habit of just, again, handouts. That's not the Penske style. But what I would expect is a refocusing of his marketing department, of his sales department, to say, okay, we continue to have a need to fund our three-car program. That is unchanged. How can we add talent to our department to focus on say bigger relationships series-wide relationships new partners new sponsors here and there how can we bring in more entitlements how can we bring in the official sponsor of name 15 different things that could be sponsored in the series How can we get corporate America to invest in IndyCar in the way that it has not in a long time? It's one thing to have IndyCar. There's no disrespect to them, but it's one thing to have IndyCar, which has been a bit thirsty. Hey, look at us. Please talk to us. Please give us things. Hey, please uh, build engines for us, right? It's one thing coming from a series that through a very basic look, Online, any company with no knowledge of IndyCar could look and say, oh, all right, so the story is they're old and have been around forever. That's great. Part of American institution, great. Were massively popular. My granddad's time, maybe great-granddad's time. Um, Yeah, apparently they went through something where everything kind of blew up. All right. NASCAR took over. Hey, I know NASCAR. NASCAR is pretty cool, right? And, okay, they're still around. And, all right, that's cool. Uh, hmm. All right, let's look at some ratings. All right, well, hey, you know, the numbers for the Indy 500, historically, all right, I can see some pretty big numbers. All right, well, the ones that they put up recently aren't that big. Okay, well, the names. Ooh, I've heard of Mario Andretti. I've even heard A.J. Foyt. I, I don't know who Zach Veach is. Okay, uh, all right, cool. Mate, Matt, Mate, Mate, Matus Lace. Some, all right, cool, great, I guess. Yeah, right. Um, Kyle Kaiser, all right, I guess that's a guy. I don't know. You can work through things pretty quickly and figure out, all right, the guy's calling saying, spend money with us, we're going places, we're doing big things, we're on the rise. So one thing to get a call from them, you could, if you wanted to, debunk some things and say, okay, got it. Yeah, by the numbers, you are up a tick here and a tick there, but I don't know if I have the confidence. Come here, because I'm not sure if whatever we might spend is actually going to come back. Roger Penske buying the series, buying the, call it the Indy 500 for right now, buying these things doesn't magically erase any of those concerns i would say what it does for any serious person looking into this is add a layer of foundation 
and validity that has been lacking. Okay, so this is the guy who sells more luxury automobiles in the United States than anyone. (laughs) Fact. This is a person with dealerships representing every major auto manufacturer. This is a person with insane ties to this manufacturer and that manufacturer. This person's company generates almost $23 billion a year in revenue. And they're involved here and they're involved there. There's so many ways in which this person and his organization is doing long-standing, super impressive things in the world of business. That is not thirsty. That is something I can trust. If this person and his organization tell me the plans they have for this series that he loves, this facility that he loves, and can show how if we were to invest $5 million, $10 million, $50 million over five years, how these are the ways it will come back, if not more. What are the new business opportunities I might find there as a result of this man, his organization, and his hundreds of holy cow type relationships? This to me, that's the thing where optimism should be high, knowing that, as crazy as it sounds, one man <laughs> truly has the ability to turn so many switches on to help the series and therefore help its team owners to prosper in ways that they have not been able to uh, for a good while. As budgets have come up, Ben, yeah, paying for this stuff has become really hard for too many teams. The biggest survive. Keep in mind the biggest tend to be owned by very wealthy businessmen. Looking back through IndyCar's history, there's been a second layer of owners. Those are smaller ex-drivers, ex-crew chiefs, team managers, and whatnot. I realize that Penske, Ganassi, and Andretti are all former drivers, but I'm talking more the the not-the-champion style or, or similar grade. You look at a lot of the other teams that have been formed, and they're not created by captains of industry. We're not going to get into a whole the 1% and all that kind of stuff here, but we can't ignore the fact, Ben, that for IndyCar as a whole to prosper, we do need to look at ways where we either bring in more money to then aid or share among everyone, knowing that the smaller teams would benefit the most from that cash, or look at ways to bring the costs to compete down. That's a hard nut to crack. A lot of time has been spent on that. Don't exactly know how RP and his company would find brand new ways to do to do that that have not already been proposed, but... One thing definitely needs to happen. More money is needed across the board 
with far too many teams. That money is needed because the costs to compete, not just show up, but compete, is high. Higher than most companies are willing to spend. So either through Penske's connections, more companies need to be introduced to the series to then increase the leader circle program, right? It's what, uh, one, a million a year, 1.1, whatever the exact number is. Imagine if that came up to two million, two and a half million. When we're talking approximately six million a year per car, I know there are teams that can do it for less, say five, but nonetheless, if the leader circle is one-sixth of the budget right now, if you could get that to a quarter, even vaguely close to half, this, that right there, <laughs> that right there would transform IndyCar's future. All of a sudden, team owners would have a reason and a, an ability to say, you know, we've always wanted to expand to three cars or four or five. And guess what? The budget to do so is now being presented to us as stakeholders in the series, as the ones who buy the cars, lease the engines, lease the tires, hire dozens of people, pay their salaries, pay health care, lease the trucks, book the flights, book the hotels, pay for the catering, uh, just everything I'm at as the ones who put on the show since we don't get TV money, if we can get something bigger back from the organization that we're plugged into, that we are there to put the sh- put on the show for, if you can get that number up to two million, two and a half, three, wow, wow! If that is not possible some sort of of business relations and amplification department where the Carlin Racings, Hunkos Racings, Meyer Shank Racings, uh, heck, I mean, you can work down, honestly, other than probably Aero McLaren SP, uh, Penske, although I bet Roger would still argue he could stand for more sponsorship, Uh, Ganassi, I'm just, I'm trying to think of the teams where, yeah, I mean, look, Rahal Edelman Lanigan Racing, Graham Rahal's car is usually stickered up beyond belief, but I bet you Takuma Sato's car could use an infusion of a million or two to make things a little little less fraught. Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, I wouldn't pretend to know how those cars are funded. I see the stickers on the side of the car. Couldn't tell you what Auto Geek is. I mean, I've looked at their site, but enough money to sponsor one, if not two, Indy cars at many rounds. All right, okay. Uh, Dragon Speed would love to be full time. They're self-funded as much as they can be, and I believe they're having some success finding some sponsorship to go with that. But they would love to be here full time. Budget to do so. That's the only sticking point. Dale Coin. Dale Coin's amazing. Dale Coin has regularly spent his own money to put the second car on track. Meets drivers halfway, even more than halfway, to complete that budget. That's amazing. That's just him being a stellar human being. 
being successful in business and willfully spending his own money to make another car happen. Uh, that's freaking awesome. Uh, Carlin racing. Yeah. It's great that Max Chilton's father, Chili Chilton's a really cool dude and loves putting money into the team, but we're not seeing a guaranteed two car entry with drivers. We know about right now. Uh, we're not exactly who, sure who's going to be driving what, and that's no disservice to the team. It's just, yeah, you know, these budget things, these budgets, they're not friendly. Uh, Meyer Shank, we're hoping or expecting to hear them become full-time. Would have taken three seasons to get there, provided that happens. And although Mike Shank hasn't shared anything publicly, I can tell you he has been sleeping zero for a couple months now, trying to make all the things necessary come to pass to get to full-time. I mean, just slaving away at this. You might say, well, shouldn't every good business require crazy amounts of work? Yes. Well, the problem is he's been running his own team for 20 years. And despite great success and huge wins here and there, championship just earned an IMSA to get his part-time IndyCar team to full-time has uh, exhausted the man from all the avenues having to be searched and conducted and completed to try and just get six, seven extra races on the calendar for his team. It's too much. (laughs) You should not have to go this hard just to make the transition from part-time to full-time as a normal person, as a normal business owner, a savvy veteran at that. He is very much, to me, the, the case study here, the, the old canary in the coal mine where you go, man, Shank's good, really good. And if this guy is, is having to come within an inch of having a nervous breakdown to get to full-time, whew, what chance do the rest of us have? We know that McLaren has brought money to Arrow, SP, We know that Arrow is already bringing a lot of money to the program. They're in a great position. That's amazing. Andretti Autosport, kings of the business-to-business deal. But even Andretti would say, boy, (laughs) almost every entry they have, not all, but almost every entry, they sure could use some additional corporate support. Now they're having to, they've taken on Colton Herta's entry. In a, what, two or three-way co-entry? When you think about Marco Andretti's car, Andretti, Marco Andretti is a co-owner with Brian Herta, Michael Andretti, Curb, and Agajanian. There's five people who've come together to try and make that one entry happen. They've added Colton's car, Michael, along with Steinbrenner, Harding as well, have to come up with that five, six million dollars a year. It's no joke. We haven't seen any sponsor announcements on that yet. It's not a negative thing that I just mentioned. Just further proof that the stuff is tough, even for an Andretti Autosport. And AJ Foyt lost their primary sponsor. AJ tells Robin Miller that they found a replacement. Won't say who it is. So who knows? Maybe all's good. Maybe everything's great. I can't tell you. But worst case... I'm sure they could use more money too. 
in every instance, Ben, just about every instance. Again, maybe you subtract Penske, subtract Aero McLaren SP for sure. I, I, those might be the only two where I'd say, yeah, they're good. I mean, the Chip Ganassi racing appears to be in good shape, right? NTT sponsoring one car, PNC Bank on the other. I don't know their financials, but, you know, they seem to be in pretty good shape. I know they're working hard to find all the money for Marcus Erickson's third now, the third entry they've expanded out to. So maybe it's three teams that are not, you know, really sweating the details uh, of how they're going to pay for everything next year, but the vast majority happen to be. So this is the area Roger can help the most. This is the area Roger knows best. This is the area where my optimism is absolute highest. There, there's a couple other facets that I covered in what I filed for Racer, Ben. Uh, I mentioned here that uh, moving forward, everything Penske will need to improve revolves around a trinity of money, reach, and participation through finding more corporate partners, real, like, serious corporate partners, the big names where you don't have to Google them to find out who they are, but the ones where you go, yeah, I eat their product, drink their product, buy their product, love their, whatever it is. Yes, that's that's a logo I'm familiar with. Acquiring more of those partners to spend money in the series with teams or just with the series itself, that's going to help with the reach. That's a proven formula. No matter how much money IndyCar might have for its marketing and promotions, it's always going to be a tiny number compared to what these big brands can bring to bear. Uh, What one, two, three, four, five, ten of them can do. If you think of those five or ten promoting their involvement in IndyCar, making sure that it is seen on television, seen at the on the bus stop seat on the the seat at the bus stop at the restaurant you're in when you go to drink the thing and hey by the way that drink company sponsors this this is the thing that works big brands using their marketing and advertising money to create reach outside of the little fiefdoms that care most about indycar as i wrote about reaching out to the coasts that's what made cart so popular you could not seemingly go anywhere without some sort of ad involving an indy car appearing in front of your eyes it was amazing in the late 80s early 90s truly amazing and awareness of cart awareness of indy car on top of the legendary names and all these other things it was truly just coast to coast penetration into people's worlds that only happens through major brands i would say doing their part to promote their involvement well a being involved but the then b then promoting it so with penske i know we're putting a lot on this man's shoulders it is bringing those big brands back to indycar and working with them to come up with marketing programs that leverage their involvement that will help folks in Washington state who might not know a thing about IndyCar, but Hey, I'm seeing it. Uh, I'm getting a feel for it through these things in front of me. Okay. At least I now know a new thing exists. Um, 
it's amazing how seeing things that might tickle your fancy for the first time convert you into wanting to learn about it or maybe buy it or spend a few minutes with it uh, in your general sphere. So it's a really simple formula, but IndyCar cannot afford to create that penetration, to create that coast-to-coast engagement. Never has. It never will. So Roger, through his business dealings, through his contacts, these are possibilities. They're, they're tantalizing possibilities. The last part that I mentioned, and I've already gone into a little bit, is about participation. Most of IndyCar's team owners are over the age of 56. A couple of them are in their 80s, Roger being one of them. Got a couple in their 60s, a number in their mid to late 50s. Uh, the series, and the, these it's all good stuff, the series is overloaded with older male team owners who, in most instances, many of them, got into IndyCar on the ownership side when they were young men. Also, again, a great thing. But it has been a long time since infusion of younger team owners started coming in not necessarily backfilling. It's not like the older ones are leaving or need to leave, but there's a reason to be concerned when the majority of IndyCar's team owners are older and have been around for a long time, and as they age, health declines, etc., etc. You start to wonder who might come in, who might add numbers to the series as some of the older owners transition out. By choice or just by age and time. So this is another big area for Roger to address. We need more team owners. We know that. That didn't that need did not arise today with the purchase of the series and the the facility. But this is something that he gets. This is something he grasps. Need to have a product that not just people want, but can afford. And so this comes back to some of the earlier topics, Ben. Cost too much to participate. Hard to raise the funds right now. Sponsors, there are plenty of sponsors who would would love to be involved in IndyCar. Just the sums they're being asked to deliver outweigh what they see as the value in being there. So it's a big project, big, big project if Roger wants to make IndyCar into what it can be. It'll be okay as it is. It will make its incremental improvements inch by inch. But if we're going to see this thing really get back to a place where folks talk about IndyCar again, it's going to require a lot of time, a lot of expertise that, frankly, only he and his organization can deliver all right we're going to move on to ken pruitt p-r-e-w-e-t-t says is it true that team penske is adding 29 drivers to its 8500 effort and adopting the hashtag fastest 33 as a matter of fact ken yes i can confirm that Uh, that is happening Uh, i can also confirm that this will be my final season covering indycar because Roger told me one of the rules he will be implementing is all media members must be clean-shaven. Can't 
cannot do it. Uh, so, yeah, it's been fun, y'all. Uh, let's see. Where are we going to go? We're going to go to Tim Hubble. MP, I think Penske buying IMS and IndyCar is a good thing. I just wish Roger was closer to 50 than to 100. We've seen the companies move away from racing when a new CEO takes over that is not interested in racing. Hopefully, Roger Penske lives forever. But if he doesn't, is there a legitimate fear that whoever takes over would have less interest in racing and the racing products would suffer? So this is the tough question, Tim. Roger's 82. He will not live forever, although among the candidates to do that, I'd probably put him pretty high up there. The only scenario where I could see Roger stepping away from his businesses would be health-related. Something, you know, hey, you're going to need to be in the hospital or under 24-hour care at home. Some sort of big health scare that took him away for weeks, maybe months. Other than that, I would say meeting the Lord would be the only other scenario where Roger would not run all of his companies, including the racing ones. Have asked this question as sensitively as I can in the past and have a pretty good understanding that Roger's son, Greg, who really is Roger 2.0, if we're thinking about business, also a racer, you know, uh, he, he's, he's a racer as well, but this is someone who ran, uh, what Penske Motorsports, which was their track ownership company. And they did some really good things. Greg, big part of that success. Understand that Greg will be, I believe at the top of the pyramid here, you can look at, one of Roger's long-time, I don't know if I'd call him a lieutenant. That's too low of a rank. General, maybe? Admiral? I don't know. Bud Denker? Uh, that guy, yeah. A, <laughs> that guy, like my wife, makes a living kicking ass. I love me some Bud Denker. Um, that guy, great personality, but I shouldn't even say but Great personality, but personality aside... That man, he is all about the attack and the victory. And it just fits Roger's way of doing things in the most complimentary way. You work down the list of many others who are involved with Roger uh, in managerial positions, leadership positions. You'd look to Tim Sindrick as the president of Penske, Team Penske, across all their properties uh, in motorsports would say that in whatever scenario where Roger was not controlling the day-to-day, Tim, there's no replacing Roger. But his son Greg has studied next to him for decades and is someone who I would look at and say, if Greg was the person in charge, we'd be just fine. And if Tim was the person in charge solely on the racing side, not diminishing Roger in any way, but, you know, trust me, Tim and his direct reports on the managerial side do the real serious lifting there. Uh, 
we're going to be okay. Won't be the same. I love Roger. Uh, the friendship he and I have struck up uh, over the years. I'm not saying we're best friends, not saying anything like that, but just an affinity for one another. Um, I take great pride in that. Uh, I don't like to think of a time where he isn't at the racetrack. Let's go to... Stephen Olaf kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but I just love the wrestling mention mp how does the penske announcement today rank on the rko scale of out of nowhere (sighs) you know i i'd love to get further insight on why now i know that tony george said that they felt that they'd taken things as far as they could and i'm sure there's a great story to come out of this that our man miller will get but i don't understand why now and my lack of understanding doesn't imply that there's a problem or something underhanded. Just why in the days and weeks leading up to the season finale at Monterey, did Tony George and members of the board come to the conclusion that they needed to sell and approach Roger at the last race to do it? Just curious, very curious. Uh, so out of nowhere, yeah, the timing as well is something where you know, if this was announced at the end of the year or the beginning of the year, that might fit. If this was announced at IMS during the month of May, I would say that would also fit. Uh, <laughs> waking up to phones exploding at super dark a.m. on Monday, November 4th. Yeah, seems a little random to me, Evan. So, uh, or Steven, I'd love to know the answer to that. Uh, let's see. Two, two, two. All right, here's one. Evan Kramer, MP, the news today was earth shattering. But a couple of concerns immediately came to mind. Mr. Penske now owns a race team and a racing series, which he now owns. We're the biggest race of the year, uh, which he now owns. His run at the prestigious track that he now owns. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. Is this not a massive conflict of interest? Penske has also stated he supports guaranteed spots in the 500 for full-time teams. What is your stance on this? And do you see this old rule being brought back? Great points. Great questions. Great, great, great. So just sharing a little bit of background here. Tony George, the heir, owner, etc. of IMS, IndyCar, you name it, founded Vision Racing in... I apologize. I don't know what, 2007, 8, 9, something like that. This is as the person who was in charge, the big boss of the whole thing, the guy who founded the IRL, the guy whose facility hosts created the Indy 500. Um, Tony has had a racing team this whole time. And as it morphed into Ed Carpenter Racing, for those who don't know, Ed Carpenter is his stepson. Uh, he founded, created Vision Racing with, I gotta believe, proceeds from IMS and you name it, their family money. Founded this team to field his stepson. It then grew. They added Ryan Hunter Ray and there other drivers that came along. It then morphed into Ed Carpenter Racing. Tony's been there, you know, I don't know if we see him at every race, but, you know, Tony's around regularly. Uh, We know that, 
I can't claim at all times, but you know, Tony directly or through relationships has helped with the funding that's come through for that. Uh, so I would just say that the guy that's owned it all has had a team in the series for more than a decade now. And I haven't heard about the massive conflicts of interest being a concern. I think that's because comparatively Roger Penske does a heck of a lot of winning there and is a much bigger, stronger, more powerful racing organization than vision slash Ed Carpenter racing. But this isn't new news. Here's maybe some of the the structural things to consider. How would Penske Racing, Team Penske, get an advantage? Well, it would have to involve manipulating people. In order for them, and I'm just throwing it out the way it is, they would have to cheat with parts on a car or cars that were overlooked with settings that were outside of the rule book, you know, all the various things that get measured uh, in impound, post-race impound, uh, prior to qualifying or otherwise going through technical inspection. There would have to be a manipulation of people turn a blind eye, uh, don't fudge this number a little bit. If that is the thing that Roger Penske or his organization would green light, we're doomed. We're absolutely doomed. Here's the take-home for me, at least, Evan. And I, I try and be Mr. Practical as much as I can. What did we just come away from in 2019? During a year where Roger Penske did not own the NTT IndyCar Series or the Indy 500, there were 17 races. Team Penske won St. Petersburg, Indianapolis Grand Prix, Indianapolis 500, First round at Detroit, Texas Motor Speedway, Toronto, Iowa, Pocono, and Portland. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine races. Nine out of 17. More than 50% of the races were won by Team Penske, including the sport's biggest race, the Indianapolis 500. Won the Indy 500 the year before. Won the championship the year before. I would just say, that being 2017, I would just say that Simon Pagano won in 2016, by the way. Will Power won in 2014. So if we just wind the clock back a little bit here, Juan Montoya won the Indy 500 in 2015. If we wind the clock back here to say, I don't know, the last five seasons, how many championships has Team Penske won? 
How many Indy 500s has Team Penske won without owning the series or the track? I know that based on their history, the search for the unfair advantage, yada, 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 that might be a concern or a curiosity that some would hold. If this was a team that had not found victory lane at Indy this decade, had been booted out of the top three in the championship by better and faster teams time and time again. I'd say, you know, maybe I could understand questions about impartiality or conflict of interest. This is and has been the most dominant IndyCar team of the last five years. This is the team that I would expect to turn up next year, barring some sort of turnaround by Andretti Autosport or stronger combined effort from Chip Ganassi Racing. Chip, Michael, both guys want nothing more than to beat Roger. Right now, I give Joseph Newgarden the championship or Pagano. There's every reason to believe they're going to win the championship next year based on their form in 2019 and just the team in general in recent years. So that's how I see things, Evan. They're the best. There's no need to cheat to ask technical inspectors to turn blind eyes to nefarious actions on their behalf that they weren't asked to do, that they have not done, while winning the heck out of the Indy 500 and championship after championship. So, yeah, I see nothing here that concerns me. It's not because I'm naive. It's because the team's track record as the best was well in place before buying anything happened. As for returning to guaranteed spots, yeah, yeah, I do fear that will happen. I like competition. <laughs> I don't want to rehash this too much because I've said it on, on past episodes. I've been on an IndyCar team that failed to qualify for a race. It wasn't Indy 500, but failed to make the race because we weren't fast enough. And it sucked. It really sucked. And boy, everyone was mad. And sponsors were pissed. And the driver was mad at the team. And the team was mad at the driver. And all kinds of stuff. Nothing positive came from it. Nor should it. And that's a reality. Many of you know that I love the NBA. I have since I was a wee lad. There's... 30-ish teams. They don't all make the playoffs. Why should they be guaranteed to make the playoffs simply because they're in the NBA? No. No. They have this pretty amazing thing called win-loss record. And only a certain number of teams will make it into the playoffs based on success. Our version of it at the Indy 500, our version of success is speed. We're going to hold 33 spots. There's going to be a minimum speed you need 
to earn one of those 33. If more than 33 of you show up, you might not get in. I don't know if I would place a greater value on those who are full-time than those who aren't. The counter-argument to that is, well, the full-time teams have made that investment. They're fully committed. Therefore, should they not receive some sort of benefit for that commitment in the form of a guaranteed entry for their car at the most prestigious race, the one that pays the highest amount, the one where a victory can transform people's lives. Okay. Little sidebar here. All the part-time teams, all the one-offs, they'd be full-time as well if they could afford it. (laughs) I think there's only one team I can think of in recent years that being the Clawson Marshall team. Tim Clawson telling me, we'd like to come back, but no, we really don't want to do more than Indy. All right, fair enough. That's your choice. The rest, though, I can guarantee you, if they could, if they had the money, they would absolutely be full-time. So do we penalize those? Do we get into a have-and-have-not scenario? Will we reward the haves because they got their start in IndyCar 20 or 30 years ago when it was way cheaper and they could build up and this is a byproduct of their tenure in the sport? Do we penalize the ones who are relatively new to this but desire to be the next Andretti, Penske, Ganassi, and so on? Uh, sorry, sucker. You can only do eight races? Well, guess what? You don't get a spot. Oh, you're a one-off? You're a brand-new team. Oh, You're making your debut at the Indy 500? (laughs) Right. I I don't don't play with that stuff, Evan, to be honest. If you have the ability to turn up and compete at an open event, of which the Indianapolis 500 happens to be, then I think merit-based participation in the race is what makes the most sense. Having been there during the 25 and 8 rule, where 25 spots at the Indy 500 were guaranteed for IRL full-timers, and the other 8 were open to the rest who weren't, uh, yeah, my first appearance at the 500 was in 1997 with the Thomas Knapp Motorsports general racing team, Greg Ray. It was our debut. We didn't have any points. We didn't have any, anything. We weren't full nothing. <laughs> we had to show up and fight our way in among, what was it? 35 entries, 36. There might've been more. There are a number of folks who were knocked out and whatnot trying to get into the show. And so I don't remember exactly how many total entries were trying to get in. I know that 35 ended up starting the race. But at least prior to that whack decision, we were among the teams having to sweat bullets and piss ourselves, hoping to be one of the eight that got in on merit, on speed. We did. Barely. I mean, granted, 
we could have qualified in the top nine if not for failing to put enough fuel in to complete our first qualifying run and that's another story um yeah been there man and we did it we we, as this little team coming up from indy lights that didn't know a lot about oval racing but we were you know smart i guess we did it we actually overcame the artificially imposed strictures to keep non-full-time, non-IRL committed teams out, CART specifically. And we wanted to be full-time. This was hoping to be something we could do. But yeah, we showed up, took the challenge, happened to succeed. I just look back and say it was silly, man. It was really, really silly. Um... I hope that's not where it's headed. I fear that it is. I'll be surprised if the Indianapolis 500 does not become the domain of full-time entries where we might get things going in a bit of a wacky direction is how you determine full-time. Meaning, so Roger Penske enters three cars for the entire season. At Indy, he has added a fourth for Elio Castro Neves. Does that fourth entry become guaranteed because it is filed by a full-time entrant? Or are only the true full-time entries guaranteed? And does Roger's fourth, Aero, SPM's third, ECR's third, and so on, are those thrown into the nope? Got to qualify your way in like everybody else. Again, I don't know what the answer is, Evan. I would suggest that if the extra entries filed by the full-timers are considered guaranteed, what are we talking about, man? Three spots? I get Two? Four? I don't know. Five? Not many. Uh, it's certainly going to discourage growth. It's certainly going to go against one of the premises I covered earlier on we need more teams, we need youth, we need new names, we need ones that are going to carry the torch when the older owners are no longer here. Yeah, if you are putting silly things in front of them to potentially keep them out from making the Indy 500, the one race that's easier than the rest to get sponsorship for, to sell and promote... If you're taking that thing kind of sort of off the table and playing the have and have nots, hey, you can be one of three to make the show because we got 30 total guaranteed cars among the true full season full timers and the extra entries they've filed. Yeah, that that is not going to be in the sport's best interest. So questions to be answered here, Evan. Not sure how but those certainly do need to be answered. Uh, Let's see. Where shall we go next? Comment from Kyle Brown. During the press conference, Tony George and Roger Penske both mentioned how important their families were in the histories with IMS. It seems that family is a critical component of everyone's racing experience, whether you're in the top 1% 
of the 1% or if you're one of the commoners. I'm a third generation Indy 500 attendee, was allowed to skip elementary school to attend on Tuesday in 1997. That's great. I swear I saw you there, Kyle. Uh, And hopefully someday at least one of my children will be a fourth generation attendee. Question, would you say the purchase is a positive, neutral, or negative change for IMS and IndyCar? It seems like Roger knows the significance of what he's purchased. Just vastly positive, Kyle. Taking nothing away from the Holman-George family, the wind, the, the fire to make IMS and the IndyCar series the best it can be. It's been a while since I've felt that from the family side. I'm not saying that observation holds any value, and it could truly be totally wrong. General, general observation. They've had it. They've owned it. Mary Holman George, I know she was a powerful presence. With Tony now left in that senior most position within the family, I know obviously his sisters are there too as well, but (sighs) Tony led the IRL, was the face of the Speedway. He's Never been a frontline person, personality-wise. My wife is an introvert. I am an extrovert. Shock. Shocker. Hashtag, who'd have thunk it. Tony strikes me as an introvert. Just someone who, when forced, will stand in front of people and speak knows that that's an expected thing of him at times, but just looks like he's crawling out of his skin most of the time, thinking that he's now really the guy. Yeah. He He's, you know, with his mother's passing, he's in that place his dad was for so long. Tony knows he's not a beloved guy. Tony knows, you know, this is an inheritance compared to the thing that, you know, even now as he's gotten older and older, is just that that burning fire in his stomach that gets him up early every morning, asking himself, what can I do to take this sport forward, to take this facility forward? Odd, someone decades his senior in RP, he does have that fire that place made him as i said that he (laughs) that is the birthplace of roger penske the roger penske the world knows realize he did plenty of things before he entered his first race at ims but just think about all that he has become all that has happened as a result of his annual participation at the indianapolis 500 and how much he longed for being there during the couple of years where he wasn't when the IRL was in motion and he was uh, fully sided with cart. This 82-year-old man, (laughs) 
he has that fire and that is the thing kyle that just makes me feel so happy for what has taken place today uh, i don't have it in front of me and i apologize there's i'm reading from uh, facebook questions i'll move to twitter here in a little bit there's someone on twitter who asked in a very straightforward manner looking at a lot of the comments today why is there so much hate for roger penske yeah i i don't get that if it's for those who came to hate roger you know in the mid 70s or prior i mean i would have been you know five six seven years old i i have no thoughts on that afterwards though i i think just part of its reputation they've been the big bad wolves for a long time they've won a lot of races they have hoovered up the best drivers, the best everything. It maybe that's part of the part of the thing that's driven folks away. Eh, it's no fun, you know. These guys just always win. It's predictable. It's something I don't know. Maybe it's a personality thing. Maybe people just some folks have not taken a shine to Roger. I don't know. I. I can't grasp it because I don't feel it. It's not as if I've always been a Team Penske fan. I've never disliked Roger. If anything, I've envied him for the work and the standard that he sets and how that is just the blueprint for success in motor racing, if not life. So, yeah, I I don't get the hate that comes to Roger. So maybe some of you who have a serious dislike for him can share some of the reasoning why. It's not a question of right or wrong. I just don't understand it because I don't see it or feel it. So maybe someone can educate me so I can... Be smarter. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Where are we going here? Jordan Darwin. Hey, Jordan. Asked what's left in the Holman & Company portfolio. I believe they sold Clabber Girl and now IMS and IndyCar. What's left? Uh, did mention that IMS Productions as part of that sale. Clabber Girl, I understand, was really an emotional thing to get rid of that. Um, I don't know. What else is there? Like I said... Miller tends to be the guy between the two of us Muppets who knows all those little factoids. Uh, I maybe don't. Uh, let's see. Let's go to J.J. Gertler. Hi, J.J. I should mention that I really appreciate your now regular participation in the show because you tend to send in some funny or amusing or interesting things. Said last week you mentioned the difference between how Alexander Rossi and James Hinchcliffe were seen by Honda. The idea of factory drivers seems very different between sports, between sports cars and other forms of racing. Porsche, with its global stable of hot shoes, comes to mind in the Renault development ladder. Why do you think there's such a difference? And what other drivers in IndyCar are factory favorites? So, obvious statement alert. If we think about sports cars and factory involvement, it tends to be just that factory team 
factory everything using the car they build, make, or hire someone to make for them. They pay for it all. It's done solely to promote who they are and therefore hiring drivers to be official factory drivers. It's just part and parcel of sports car racing. In IndyCar, at least for the last long while, we have had engine suppliers compared to engine, quote, factory, manufacturer-type programs. So with Chevy supplying engines to its partner teams, partners, just a kind way of saying they work together. (laughs) Those teams pay for the privilege. Same with Honda. It's a different dynamic. You could look at a Chip Ganassi racing and say, hey, that's Scott Dixon guy. Um, He's been a Honda guy for a long time. Now that they went to Chevy, but uh, now that they've been with Toyota, but, you know, he is viewed as the longtime number one asset within that stable. Alexander Rossi is the newest and shiniest toy there. None of that is said in a negative way. It's what he should be. Um, Honda's approach, I would say, is just looking at the driver or drivers that they believe they really need to have closer relationships with. From a talent standpoint, from a development standpoint, and also, let's say, a little bit of uh, defensive positioning as well. Hey, Alexander Rossi, he wins a lot of races for us. We should make sure he doesn't win a lot of races for Chevy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a smart thing. So, sadly, Hinch hasn't really been in that category some of you might feel that he is worthy of that some of you might not i would just say that by choice honda has selected rossi dixon and that's about the extent of it so far on the chevy side i have not heard of them working in the same capacity in personal services contracts with certain drivers to make sure that they don't get away. But nonetheless, I mean, you have to know that a Simon Pagano on the Chevy side is, is a huge favorite just because he is not only a race winner, a champion, Indy 500 winner, but on the technical side, he's just a monster, just truly a, a developmental monster. Joseph Newgarden won, obviously, two-time champ in recent years. Work down the list, and you know, there aren't a ton of Chevy teams after Penske. There's not a lot of winning that takes place on the Chevy side, so we know that Ed Carpenter is so highly regarded for his oval feedback. Beyond those names, I don't know if we would extend that pool much farther in terms of preferred relationships, if that's the way to put it. So Yeah, just a dynamic JJ where this isn't a direct factory team running a factory program like in sports cars. It's engine leases, and from there, manufacturers tend to identify the ones that help the most and sidle up to them as closely as they can. All right, I'm going to take one more here, and then now at 12.05 a.m., hit the old pause button. 
and this is going to probably have to wait till tomorrow afternoon, early evening, because I'm recording the interview week in IndyCar with Bobby Ray Hall at 8 a.m. California, and then we are out the door about a half hour after we're done, and then have uh, probably out the door to come and back the door, all total, probably seven hours of a marathon chemotherapy session for Mrs. Pruitt. And so, yeah, wish I could get all this done in one night, but <laughs> at 150 plus questions, not all for me, some of them for Bob, many of them for Bob, but yeah, lots for me. Yeah, this ain't happening in one night, boys and girls. Uh, we're going to close tonight's conversation with Andrew Hoffman. This is Marshall. Currently, IndyCar runs an even mixture of road courses, street courses, and ovals. I wouldn't put it that way, Andrew. I realize that if you split road and street courses, you might kind of get there. But, yeah, uh, to me, you have road racing and oval racing, and IndyCar is predominantly road racing. But, nonetheless, says the cars are powered by turbocharged engines, which are leased from manufacturers. And now IMS and the series are owned by Roger Penske, a founding member of CART. This may be a bit of revisionist history, but could it be that CART has ultimately won the split? Wow! We worked in the split here. I love it. I don't know if win is the word I would use, Andrew. So if we look at entrance not who came together in 2008 when champ car finally died the death that i guess wasn't shouldn't have been a surprise but still kind of a surprise if we look at the entrance involved today the ones that remain the ones that were alive and kicking back then uh both champ car and IRL, and I know many of you have loved Roger Penske's constant referral to the NTT IndyCar series as the IRL. If you're wondering why, I will just suggest that as someone who helped form the CART IndyCar series and who fought against the formation of the IRL and hated the IRL and just truly was working against it the entire time, Despite the fact that the name Indy Racing League went away at the end of the 2004 season, and despite the fact that Roger joined the IRL in 2001, Phoenix being their first race, uh, I happen to remember that because they're uh, with the Sam Schmidt team I was working for then, uh, they were lined up on the grid right in front of our pit so i took a photo which i just recently saw so that's why that comes to mind but having joined the irl in 2001 i think having moved full time to the irl in 2003 having been renamed as the indycar series in 2005 you might wonder why roger refers to it as the irl and i would just say that he spent what two decades as a cart man 
three decades. Technically, it started in 79, and he extended, I guess, maybe four decades. He competed in it through 2002 or whatever it was. He was a cart man, and when the IRL came along, it was the enemy. And so I would, it when I hear him say the IRL, I just hear it coming from someone who still thinks of it in those older terms. Uh, so, yeah, while it might be funny to some, then, well, there you go. So for those teams, the, quote, IRL teams uh, that were part of the merger with Champ Car, Champ Car Folding, Tony George and company buying the, the wreckage. If we look not at the teams that came together under the, quote, unified IndyCar series in 2008, but who survives today? AJ Foyt, IRL team, and Dreddy Autosport, they'd already moved over to the IRL. Granted, we know that, you know, this there's a lot of lineage here going back to other teams, but nonetheless, IRL team. We look at Arrow SPM, IRL team. Carlin, new, neutral. Chip Ganassi Racing. They had moved over from CART to the IRL. Interesting to note that while the Foyt team was earliest of adopters for the IRL, uh, granted it predated CART, but longtime CART team, part of that USAC and so on. If we move to, again, Ganassi, longtime CART team, moved over to the IRL. Dale Coyne, longtime CART team. Uh, came over, so they were a champ car team. So that's the first of of the true cart slash champ car lineage teams that came over in in the again air quotes merger. Dragon Speed new neutral. Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing hundred percent IRL. Hunkos Racing new neutral. Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan. This was a team, CART, that transitioned full-time to the IRL, and Team Penske. Obviously, everything I mentioned, super extra quadruple, CART team, had fully transitioned to the IRL. So I'm, I would struggle, honestly, to say, Andrew, that Cart has ultimately won the split in just about every instance, except for Dale, unless I'm forgetting someone. In just about every single instance, all the teams that fought together in Cart during its heydays, heyday, or heydays, I guess there's more than one, but uh, all the biggest teams that fought in Cart and honestly made cart what it was. There's a few that just didn't continue. The players Forsyth outfit sadly didn't come along. Uh, some others have, have not survived after making, you know, the early transition in 2008 conquest HVM and, you know, a few others, but uh, KV is one, etc. But really Andretti Foyt, uh, Schmidt was founded during the IRL, but 
if we look at a lot of the te- the quote cart teams, Foyt and Reddy, Ray Hall, Penske, these big big names, they had jumped ship. They had said, "Yeah, all right, no thanks, Champ Car." Uh, the the real value here to our sponsors is at the Indy 500, and this all oval thing. Keeping in mind that that changed in 2005 when they started throwing in some road courses, but they had if defected is the word, Andrew. They defected well before the merger, coming out of the split, th- this healing of the split. Yep, lots of great cart lineage, uh, but the fact is. The guy who is in charge, the guy who just bought the whole thing, even though he was part of the the founders of CART, he had left that series that he helped found well before unification. While CART slash Champ Car was still in existence, and in a conversation we had today, which is available on the old podcast, I admitted he regrets that. I never heard him say that before. Maybe he said it to others, and I just hadn't paid attention, but he said he he truly regretted breaking ranks with USAC and forming, helping to form CART. Big Eagle, Dan Gurney's white paper, which led to uh, what became CART, uh, said that he really regretted that. So, yeah. I don't know if that's a little bit of revisionist history, but I can tell you, Andrew, that it was a surprise to hear him say that. And at least having been around for almost all this stuff, um, yeah. One thing I can tell you that we can't take away, and it's as someone who grew up in the cart era, attended I don't know how many races, worked in cart on the team side as an assistant engineer, worked in the IRL, as an assistant team manager, assistant engineer, uh, engineer, uh, I don't even know what, all kinds of silly things. I enjoyed both. I enjoyed cart more. Cart was amazing at all times. The cars, huh. <laughs> never, not today. Not back then has anything that was IRL or its modern successor, the IndyCar series, come close to the dynamic performance, sounds, everything of kart cars. It's what it was. Uh, I played in both. Super, super fortunate for that. Um, IRL won the war, man. The old IRL won the war. Cannot take the fact away that for those who saw cart and felt cart, it it remains, I think, the the high watermark of memories. And boy, if we could go back in time and experience the proverbial thousand horsepower and the screaming high rev motors and everything that came with it, we would absolutely go back to that ASAP. All right, Andrew, thank you for that. And we will be back by we, I mean me tomorrow at some point in time to continue the old conversation, all driven by your questions here on the podcast. Cause I have a huge massive ego that I named after myself. All right. I lied. It's six 
47 for, no 643 i can't even tell time <laughs> it's 643 in the morning and i need to be up early because we have to be out of here early as i mentioned so rather than continue and get partway through and then come back this evening i'm going to do call an audible that's what i'm going to do and i'm going to post this so i'll come back and do a part two this evening but wanted to at least get a part one of your listener Q&A up and out. And maybe it warrants a return. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you'll smash your earbuds or whatever device you use to capture these podcasts. So we'll find out. You'll let me know, I'm sure. Let me say thanks again once more to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. And in theory, we'll have something from Bobby Ray Hall to listen to. He'll speak about Roger Penske bought the frickin' Indy 500 <laughs> and the IndyCar series. And James Hinchcliffe, IndyCar's most unfortunate driver refugee in whatever other topics we wander in and out of. And then we'll have a part two to your listener Q&A again, maybe tonight, Tuesday, maybe tomorrow. I don't know, but thanks for letting me call that audible, and we will speak here soon on the good old Week in IndyCar on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast.